Welcome in to episode four of the Barnes on Bama podcast. I'm your host, Owen Barnes, and we've got a good show for you today. We've got a few things we're going to cover. Um, I'm going to go through the Florida game that happened last night in Coleman Coliseum, where Alabama got the overtime win over Florida. Then I'm going to talk about the upcoming Kentucky game. There's some players that are going to be missing, one for suspension and potentially two for injury, one for each team. We'll talk about that and what impact that might have on the game. Then we will break down the Alabama-Kentucky game, what to watch, what to look for in that game. And then finally, some news um, on the Alabama football front in terms of who's going to be in the radio broadcast booth. want to give my thoughts and just give some words on that. So let's get into the show. So first off, you know, going to cover the Alabama-Florida game. I was in attendance, as always, for the Alabama-Florida game last night. Alabama looked pretty rough in the first half. Um, They shot two for 18 from three. And, you know, you'll often hear either radio broadcasters or some fans say that Alabama lives and dies by the three. I think yesterday was a great example of Alabama not living and dying by the three. Um, Alabama shot pretty poorly from three. They ended up shooting for the full game, eight of 32. But they do finish winning the game. They won by five in overtime. Um, And Alabama showed that they have the ability to just, A, not give up, and B, fight. I was very concerned, and I talked about it on the podcast as well as in the pregame thread, that Alabama was getting dominated on the rebounding over the last last few games they they got pretty they got dominated in that Georgia game and then against A&M which was the number one offensive rebounding team in the country they got absolutely destroyed Uh, they gave up 26 offensive rebounds against A&M and it just was not looking good so Florida coming in was the number two offensive rebounding team and I was I was quite frankly just really concerned about that Um, you know Alabama had not shown the ability to rebound against some some of the better rebounding teams on the on the schedule and Alabama did phenomenally. Um, Alabama out-rebounded Florida. They did a really, really good job. It was a little confusing because they did get less points um, or second-chance points than Florida did. Part of that was due to Alabama missing a lot of shots. You know, there was one possession I'm going to talk about here in a second where Alabama actually got four offensive rebounds on the one possession. So, you know, at the end of the day, the rebounds didn't fully add up, you know, to the points that you normally would expect from second-chance perspective but Alabama was able to capitalize on the second chance points they were able to get so in that game for me some of the biggest key takeaways were Alabama they fought they didn't give up Nate Oates talked about it in the post game that they referenced that Alabama Georgia game you know on the road that I mentioned earlier where this is you know we've been behind we've had a game where we weren't shooting well and here's how we were able to win it right we were able to win it by you know fight you know rebound play your position, do your job, and, you know, you can you can fight back. And Alabama was down 10 with under 8 to go and found a way. Um, there were some really, really hard plays from Grant Nelson. Sam Walters had probably his best game in Crimson. You know, Nate talked about Grant having one of his best two-way games in Crimson. Um, you know, Mark Sears, Aaron Estrada, you know, all of these guys had really good games. They were without one of their playmakers and Latrell Reitzel. We'll talk a little bit more about that here in a second. But, you know, Alabama found a way to beat a really good Georgia te- – or, sorry, a really good Florida team and, you know, came out with the win. There were quite a few instances where Alabama, you know, could have laid down, you know, but Nate talks about this is the kind of game that if you're going to compete for the league title, you have to win. 
and Alabama found a way to to tie the game. They had the ball or the chance to win it at the end. They they end up missing the shot to to end the game in regulation. Then, you know, go on a pretty good run to start overtime and end up winning the game in overtime. You wish they would have been able to close out a little better because they were up seven in overtime and ended up having to have a Sam Walters tip to Estrada layup, you know, to to finish the game with the win. But, you know, all in all, you you get the win, you stay in first place in the SEC, and you, you move on to the next game. So, you know, super proud of the guys, super proud of what I saw. You know, I saw a lot more fight than I had seen in some of the – times pass like I said there was a possession at one point in the first half that Nate mentioned in the post game and apparently you know at halftime where Alabama was not making shots they missed four shots in a row they got the rebound on all four shots and then it ends with a Rylan Griffin three it was one of the two only threes of the first half and you know that was the perfect example where at the end of the day if you just fight and you just rebound and you play harder than the other team Sometimes if you just get enough attempts with the percentages that Alabama shoots, enough attempts is going to equal makes. And that's exactly what ended up happening. You know, Alabama fought. Alabama did what they needed to do and, you know, was successful against Florida. The other thing I will mention is Alabama's game plan in the second half was a lot of what I had talked about in the in the pregame and in the podcast. Florida gave up a ton of points in the paint. We ended up beating Florida in the paint 56 to 40. And a lot of that was just due to Alabama's, you know, eagerness to drive to the hole, you know, to Florida was running them off the three point line, but as they would run them off the three point line, they would leave room in the lane and Alabama was dominating the paint. So Alabama was able to take advantage of that two point percentage. Um, They had huge games from Grant Nelson and Aaron Estrada. They combined to be 17 for 22, I think um, from two. So it was just a huge, huge game. All in all, it was a big win to stay in first place in the conference. So there were some things, you know, there was one thing that I want to mention that happened um, earlier today. You know, it happened during the game yesterday. It was not reviewed during the game, but it was brought down that Muhammad Wagi, um, center, he started a few games, for, or sorry, he's been coming off the bench for Alabama, hasn't played as much here recently. But there was an instance, you know, just under nine minutes to go in the game, I believe. He brought down an elbow um, that looked like it was, you know, directed intentionally at Condon from Florida. It was not reviewed during the game. However, the SEC brought down a ruling earlier today that he is suspended for the Kentucky game for what they deemed to be um, an act of fighting. And Nate Oates released a statement saying, you know, upon review of the video, that's, you know, they, they stand behind the decision, you know, they, that's completely unwarranted and you no know, shouldn't have happened. I completely agree. When you look at the video, um, it did not look like he was going for the ball. It definitely looked like there was a little bit something extra there. Why, how, you know, what happened, I'm not going to be one to say. I wasn't on the court. However, you know, the facts are the facts, and the fact is that he's not going to be playing in that game against Kentucky, so you are going to be down one guy in the front court um, that otherwise probably would have played, especially with Kentucky's height down in the interior. The other two guys that I want to mention in terms of injury is there's a guy for Kentucky and a guy for Alabama that missed the last game. For Kentucky, it's Trey Mitchell. Um, They're starting forward. He has missed a few games this year with injury. Um, I believe this one is shoulder-related. He is currently their leading rebounder, um, just, just under eight a game. He also gets around 12 points a game. 
He's a multi-time transfer, um, most recently at West Virginia, but it's just an elite player, by far, um, you know, one of the stalwarts of their team, one of the one of the better players on their team. And, you know, if they don't have him, the makeup of how they play on offense and defense has definitely changed a little bit um, because he is a staple for that team. So that's going to be something to watch out for. He did miss the LSU game that they ended up losing, um, as well as some other games this year. So that's something just to kind of keep an eye out on. On the Alabama front, we have Latrell Reitzel out. He was out in the Florida game. It was announced just before the game that he was going to be out with a head injury. Um, from what Nate Oates said, he is day-to-day. It was an injury caused in practice on Monday. Um, some speculation was that, you know, Rylan Griffin played with a bandage over his eye. There was some speculation that they potentially could have, you know, hit heads, um, you know, during practice. I'm not sure if there's any merit to that, but that's what I have heard. Um, but that Latrell Reitzel is day-to-day. Um, we did get a post on Instagram earlier today. Um, this is on Thursday the 22nd that um, Reitzel, you know, posted a picture on Instagram and said hashtag soon. So there is a chance that, you know, Reitzel was in concussion protocol and, you know, needed to clear and potentially has cleared. Whether he has or not, I am not sure. I'm not on the team or nor a team doctor. However, that is something to keep an eye on um, as he is day-to-day. You know, whether he's going to play or not, it's probably not going to come out until right before the game. Um, so that is something just to keep an eye on on the Latrell Reitzel front, as that's big news. He's currently the best shooter um, on the team, fifth best in the conference. So, you know, having Reitzel back in this game would be would be huge. So those are the players that aren't going to play, but let's actually talk about the Alabama-Kentucky game and what to expect. So Kentucky this season is playing a little bit different style than they have played under Calipari in the past. Calipari has been criticized by Kentucky fans for the past few years of running a pretty archaic archaic offense and, you know, not letting his athletes, you know, he's long recruited some of the best athletes in the country, but he's slowed them down to a style that was, you know, un-Nate Oates-esque. You know, there's been a lot of Kentucky fans calling for wanting Nate Oates or, you know, just other things where it was a standpoint of he's not letting his athletes be athletes. This season, he's doing more of that. He is allowing, you know, his guys to run in transition. Kentucky runs a much faster style. You know, they definitely shoot more threes. They're more efficient this year than they have been in years past. And so the offense is definitely taking a step forward. However, the defense is not not as good. You know, sounds similar to Alabama this year. They, they're they a team that's, again, very similar to Alabama and Florida where the offense is, is near elite and the, the defense is is not great. Now, similar to Alabama and Florida, their defense is getting better. So Kentucky currently sits, um, looking here, at ninth in offensive efficiency and 77th in defensive efficiency. Currently, Alabama is first and 73rd for, for those at home, you know, keeping track. So that is something just to keep in mind. The one place that Kentucky is, is definitely elite is three-point shooting. Um, they are currently number one in the country, shooting over 40% from three. They have three guys that are that are elite three-point shooters as well as the number two three-point shooter in the entire country in Reed Shepard. Uh, Reed Shepard has just been elite all season from behind the arc. Um, also, Dillingham and Reeves have both been super efficient behind the arc, just really, really good shooters and at pretty high volumes as well. 
the place where I think this Alabama-Kentucky game is going to come down to is a couple of couple of spots. One of them is going to be turnovers. And Alabama's two road losses earlier this year um, in the SEC, they lost to Auburn and to Tennessee. And those two games, they had 15 turnovers at Auburn and 22 turnovers at Tennessee. That's been a real issue for Alabama. This Kentucky team has some guys, including Reed Shepard, which I mentioned, that is really elite at causing turnovers. Uh, Shepard's top 10 in the country enforcing steals. And, you know, Kentucky has the ability to, to turn you over and to cause some havoc on the defensive end as well as block shots. They're third in the country in block shots. They have three seven-foot guys, um, you know, that play a variety of minutes. You know, if he's, or, uh, Big Z plays the, the least amount out of those guys. They have three guys that play, you know, a variety of minutes. And they're all really good shot blockers. So that's something that Alabama is going to have to keep in mind that Alabama has had issues with in years past and a little this year where, you know, with our style of driving to the rim, they do have a tendency um, to get their shots blocked. So that is a spot where I think Kentucky's defense has the ability to, to wreak some havoc. Um, but whether the block shots happen or not, one place that I think that Kentucky is going to have a little bit of an advantage is the ability to potentially force steals. So that's going to be something that Alabama definitely has to watch out on um, because if they allow Reed Shepard or Dillingham or any of these guys to force steals and then get running in transition, that's going to spell bad news for Alabama. At the end of the day, you're playing in an opponent's arena. You're playing in Rupp Arena, which historically, you know, one of the toughest places to play in the entire country for a long time. You know, Rupp has been a place that nobody goes in and wins. However, this year they have had, you know, some struggles in Rupp. They had three games in a row earlier this year that they lost um, the first time since the 60s. So this isn't the Kentucky of old in Rupp Arena. However, it's still Rupp Arena. It's still Kentucky. This is not going to be an easy game to go in and win. However, Alabama definitely has the ability. One of the spots that I think Alabama will have the advantage, especially if Trey Mitchell doesn't play, is actually rebounding. I think that playing A&M in Florida just before this game is is going to have prepared Alabama for how to rebound and how to rebound against teams that have guys bigger than them. I mentioned um, Kentucky having three guys over seven foot. You know, Kentucky, especially if Trey Mitchell plays, you're going to have multiple guys over that 6'10", 6'11", range on the court at the same time and Alabama has played a few games you know Florida included where they had multiple guys in that range and have shown their ability to rebound so I think these first sorry this um, A&M and then Florida game immediately leading up to the Kentucky game I think is huge because it gives Alabama the ability to call back on this is what we did this is how we had success similar to that Georgia game right NATO talks about the Georgia game being able to be called back on in that Florida game, I look at it the same way. Going against Georgia and getting out-rebounded on the road and then playing A&M and having them out-rebound you. You can call on those things about what went wrong in the Florida game and then against Kentucky. Kentucky's not as good of an elite rebounding team. Looking here, they're 180th in offensive rebounding and 242nd in defensive rebounding. So they're not... They're not top of the country in rebounding. That's a spot that Alabama can definitely have some success. 
On the other front, I think another place that Alabama can definitely have some success is the same stat that I looked at in saying I thought we were going to shoot a lot of threes against A&M, but we weren't going to shoot a lot of threes against Florida. We ended up getting up to 32 when it got to overtime, but overall we had more success in the paint against Florida. That stat is how many three-point attempts compared to field goal attempts the opposing team allows. Florida was elite at that stat. They ran you off the three-point line, and they also didn't give up a lot of assisted field goals. Kentucky is much more like LSU or A&M is in that stat. They give up about 41% of the opponent's shots to be from three-point range, and they allow about 54% of the shots to be assisted. That fully fits into Alabama's game plan. Alabama's game plan um, in a game is to have Sears and Estrada run and facilitate the offense and kick out to open shooters. You know, whether that be Reitzel, whether that be Sears, whether that be Griffin, Stevenson, you know, the list goes on. But that is Alabama's game plan. The game plan is to have your guards run the offense and kick out to open shooters or, you know, drive to the hole and get the layup. So with that being part of the game plan, I think that Kentucky's style of how they play defense, not running teams off the line, and allowing assists on those buckets, I think that that plays into how Alabama likes to play. And I actually do think Alabama has the ability to come out with this win. I would definitely be a little bit more um, positive about the odds of us winning if Reitzel plays. I think that gives you another shooter that Kentucky has to account for. With Kentucky having the guards that they have and the elite guard and wing play that they have, I think having Reitzel on the court for this game would be massive. However, I do think that they have the ability to win even without him. You just played a team in Florida that had three guards that had really, really good games. So they have played teams that have you know elite guard play, and they just showed in the last game that they can win without Reitzel. However, I do think that in this game you're going to need to make some more threes than you did in the last one. Um, 25% was Alabama's lowest of the season, especially at home. But, you know, overall one of the worst of the season. And, you know, I think having Reitzel in this next game would be massive. So I do think Alabama has a good chance at winning the game. I will put out my official prediction um, in the pregame thread that will be coming out, you know, probably immediately following the podcast, so stay in touch um, either on Twitter or on Substack if you're curious in the full write-up you know, about the game, breaking down each player, as well as some videos and the official prediction. So stay in touch for that. Um, it'll be coming out on Substack and on Twitter. Last thing I want to mention in terms of Alabama athletics is we had some big news come out yesterday and then a statement come out later today. Um, the big news that came out yesterday is that Longtime play-by-play guy for Alabama football, Eli Gold, would not be in the booth for this upcoming season. They're going to be transitioning from Eli Gold to Chris Stewart. Um, this is a thing that some fans have loved and some fans are kind of against. Part of that because when it officially came out, a lot of people were saying, okay, Eli retired. And then Eli went on a bit of a news spree with CBS and some others saying, I did not retire. The university kind of forced me out. Well, what we heard earlier today that was released by the Crimson Tide Sports Network was that Eli was being, you know, removed from play-by-play duties but had the ability to stay in the broadcast booth for a day as well as for some other things in, in the booth. What I think that means, you know, I'm not at Crimson Tide Sports Network, but what I would think that means is 
to a degree a figurehead as well as you know having a legendary voice stay in the booth but they thought that his energy and you know just the overall aesthetic of him calling the play-by-play was something that they wanted to energize and have Chris Stewart that's done a great job you know he was the away play-by-play guy last year um and you know has done basketball for quite a few years now but have him take over in the booth so I completely understand where the university and the sports network were coming from in wanting to make that transition um, one thing I will say is Gold came out with a statement saying that he um, was wanting to continue broadcasting for the next decade or so. I don't think that was fully in reality. I don't think that that was realistic for him to have expected that he was going to be able to continue doing the play-by-play for the next 10 years. Um, I do know that he's a legend and has been doing the job you know, exceptionally well for a long time. However, I just don't think overall him continuing – continue to do the job for the next 10 years is something that was that was actually you know within reason um if a lot of fans have pointed to the fourth and 31 call that happened he was on the the one road game he went to this past year was the Auburn game and the fourth and 31 call had next to no enthusiasm and um it just didn't have the same you know, level of energy that you would expect from a radio broadcast. You know, part of that's going to be Eli's age. Part of that may have been the health scares. I'm, I'm not going to point and say what caused that. But I will say that it does does make some sense to me that the university and the sports network decided to make the change to go to Chris Stewart. Obviously, you know, it's a good as time as any. The fact that, you know, Eli called what was going to be Saban's last games and, Um, you know, now with the new coach, you're moving over to Chris Stewart. So, you know, I'm completely okay with the move. I think that the move was warranted. Um, I'm not on the side of the fan base that's just up in arms. I think that there was a a conscious effort to try to retain him as a pseudo figurehead, similar to how game day has done with Lee Corso. Um, But, you know, if that's not something he was open to doing and he wanted to just step down, um, and st- or you know be forced out I guess instead of you know being that figurehead then you know so be it so you know we move on and Chris Stewart takes over you know he's a legend in the game for anybody that doesn't know he's been calling baseball and basketball and stuff for the university for many years um, and he's as good as they come so that is all on that front and that is all for the podcast today so if anybody is curious about anything uh, wants to have any comments with me please feel free to shoot me a DM on Twitter, um, message me, you know, shoot a comment on Substack, YouTube, however you listen or read any of my content, please stay subscribed. And if anybody, you know, wants me to write any specific long form articles, I will, you know, write some more about basketball, football, um, and probably some additional sports as well as these content. Um, seasons continue to go on um, and I plan to follow the teams as, as far as they make it so if anybody is curious please subscribe like and follow on whatever platform is you're choosing and thank you so much for listening have a good day peace